Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. On a Thursday, it's August 10th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN. On this, a feast of St. Lawrence, Deacon and Martyr. One of seven deacons of the Roman Church responsible for the temporal admission of the administration of the diocese. He, along with Pope Sixtus, whom he served, was a victim of the persecution of Valerian in 258. The church celebrates his feast day today, according to a beautiful page put together by EWTN. On August 10th, the day of his martyrdom, he was tortured by being chained to a gridiron and roasted upon it. And at one point, and this is where the saying comes from, the quote comes from, and this is why he's the patron saint of cooks and extremely popular, as you might imagine, in Italy. He said, turn me over. I'm done on this side. So EWTN does such a great job of pulling all this information together for us. And it's a great little history lesson in terms of the lives of the saints and what they did for the faith and not to be forgotten, of course, for their beautiful sacrifices. So Pope St. Sixtus II, and I'm reading this right from the EWTN page, elected in secret as a 23rd successor to St. Peter on August 30th in the year 257. According to his biographer, he was a good and peaceful priest. He was also skillful in avoiding the first uh, brutal persecutions, which occurred in his first month as pope. However, less than a year after his election, he and six of his deacons were arrested and beheaded on August 6, 258. The seventh, Lawrence, would be captured and martyred a few days later on the 10th. As a Greek, he was not accorded the swift death by beheading given to a Roman citizen. So the Roman emperor during the time of St. Lawrence ruled from 253 to 260 AD and 257 he undertook the persecution of Christians ordering that the clergy offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. Then in 258 he ordered the arrest and execution of the clergy among his victims St. Lawrence and the Pope as we just mentioned. And so what did he do after the others were killed? Well the emperor told Lawrence that he wanted him to gather the treasures of the church. And he was talking about the material treasures and the chalices and other things in the church that he thought he could, you know, use for whatever. So St. Lawrence takes those treasures and distributes it among the poor. And when he's asked to present the treasures, he presents the poor that he was serving. And as a result of that, the emperor got very mad and decided to martyr him. And he stuck him on a gridiron and grilled him to death. And in the middle of that, that's where the saying comes from and why he is a patron of cooks and extremely popular in Bella Italia, because he is quoted as saying, turn me over, I'm done on this side. So anyhow, great stuff. Sign up for the free uh, e-newsletter that EWTN sends out. Just need your email. They give you great resources. And if you sign up today, you also get a beautiful e-book on uniting your suffering to Christ. So great resources we have here at EWTN. Alrighty then, what's coming up on the program right after the news? And there's a lot of it this morning. We have our very own Father Mitch, Father Mitch Pacwa. Gosh, there's so many stories that I want to discuss with Father Mitch because he's so knowledgeable, not only in all things Catholic and Scripture, but on history and the Constitution and the life issues. So there's two big stories. We have the story that we discussed yesterday, and we're still trying to sort through all this, and that is the big loss of Issue 1 in Ohio. People coming out now saying that they were not organized enough. Those who said they were going to donate did not do so. We were outspent. There's all these issues that we're trying to, you know, sort through before 
the November ballot amendment that comes up in November, trying to make abortion part of the Constitution in the Buckeye State, as they did in Michigan, and as the abortion supporters are trying to do in so many other states, as Kristen Hawkins said yesterday. <laughs> and then we're going to be talking to Will Hahn, who's a senior counsel at Beckett Law, about a story covered by many of our agencies, including the Register and Catholic News Agency, a very, very sad story about a couple who want to adopt, but they are not being allowed to adopt in the state of Massachusetts because they support Catholic teaching. Obviously, that's a direct violation of religious freedom and their First Amendment rights, and that's why the Beckett Law is taking up the case. Right now, though, it's already four minutes past the hour. We'll have more on the weather and the news, a lot of rain expected in certain parts, but let's get started on the Thursday, August 10th, 2023. Catholic bishops criticizing the Biden administration's proposed rules, as Catholic News Agency reports, related to the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act that would force employers to make accommodations for women who receive abortions. Now, that act passed Congress back in 2022 and established new protections for workers who are pregnant or recently had a child, requiring that employers make reasonable accommodations for women based on known limitations related to pregnancy. Now, the head of the Pro-Life Activities Office at the USCCB, Bishop Michael Burbage, is now accusing the government of majorly distorting that law. He said they supported the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act because it enhanced the protection of pregnant mothers and their preborn children, which is something we have encouraged. He said Congress should prioritize. However, the act is pro-worker, pro-family, and pro-life, and it's a total distortion to use the law as a means for advancing abortion and the complete opposite of needed assistance for pregnant mothers. We'll talk more about this with Father Mitch Pacwa. As we reported yesterday as well, residents in Ohio voting overwhelmingly to reject a ballot initiative that would have made it more difficult to adopt constitutional amendments by way of citizen-led ballot initiatives. As CNA explains, the defeat, which took place amid unprecedented voter turnout and out-of-state funding, means a proposed abortion referendum is more likely to succeed in November. And now, with 95% of the votes tallied, as of yesterday afternoon, about 57% voted no on Issue 1, while about 43% voted yes on that initiative. A yes vote was in favor of raising the threshold required for adopting a constitutional amendment through a citizen-led ballot initiative. Public opinion about abortion may be a significant factor as well in the August election results and the high voter turnout. A recent USA Today survey of 500 likely voters from last month found that about 58% of Ohio residents supported that proposed abortion referendum and only 32% opposed it. The U.S. House Judiciary Committee, as Catholic News Agency explains, yesterday claimed to have covered new evidence of multiple field offices of the FBI coordinating an investigation into traditionalist Catholics earlier this year. A leaked memo from the FBI's Richmond, Virginia field office published on the internet in February discussing investigating radical traditionalists, as they describe them, in the Catholic Church, whom the Bureau alleged may have been part of a far-right white nationalist movement. The memo generated blowback from U.S. bishops, attorneys general, and elected officials on Capitol Hill. Senators and U.S. reps over the past several months, as CNA explains, grilling both Attorney General Merrick Garland and the FBI Director Chris Wray over the controversy. The new details also revealing what Jordan claimed were inconsistencies in Director Wray's earlier testimony before Congress. 
Ray had previously claimed the Catholic memo was a single product by a single field office. At least 36 people now are dead as a massive wildfire is burning out of control on Hawaii's Maui Island. We never anticipated uh, in this state that a hurricane which did not make impact on our islands will cause this type of wildfires. Well, that's Lieutenant Governor Sylvia Luke who said yesterday hurricane force winds in the region and dry conditions have fueled the fire. The fire devastating the tourist town of Lahaina on the northwestern tip of Maui. The Coast Guard saying it has rescued at least a dozen people in that area. Officials say though they are cautiously optimistic that the blaze will eventually be under control. Lucinda Kay, meanwhile, tells us that Hawaii's governor, Josh Green, is discouraging all non-essential travel as that wildfire rips through parts of Maui. This is to protect you and free up flights and hotels for locals who have lost their homes. Speaking with folks at Alaska Airlines, they tell me 2,000 people evacuated to Maui's airport, OGG, plus 65% of Alaska's staff is impacted in one way or another. Alaska's limiting flights to use fewer staff, sending backups to Maui for folks stuck in their homes while simultaneously trying to get as many people off the island as possible. All major airlines have travel waivers in place, either no change fees or refunds. Some 100 million Americans are at risk for the rest of this week as severe weather is sweeping across the eastern two-thirds of the nation. Forecasters say heavy downpours and strong thunderstorms slamming dozens of areas into the weekend. Some communities could see flash flooding and damaging winds could also be barreling more than once. The Mid-Atlantic, the Northeast, and parts of New England could be in for heavy rainfall today. Farther south, parts of Georgia and all of the Carolinas are at risk for flash flooding, isolated tornadoes and winds, as well of up to 65 miles an hour can be expected. A bipartisan group of Texas lawmakers, meanwhile, shooting a letter to the head of the U.S. Postal Service demanding safeguards for the male men and women who are working through this heat wave. In this heat wave, the U.S. Postal Service decided to take access for cold water bottles away from them. It's just, it just doesn't make any sense. Democratic Congressman Greg Kazar wants the Postal Service to give letter carriers a break from the hot weather with access to cold water. There is a fear these federal workers could get hurt. Earlier this year, a Dallas letter carrier died on a day when the heat index surpassed 110 degrees. The Biden administration is defending its decision to pull out of Afghanistan. We believe it's a correct policy choice, but again, I would never want to quibble with a family member who has suffered such an enormous tragedy. That State Department spokesman Matthew Miller declining whether to say it was a success. The administration has faced sharp criticism over that chaotic, chaotic withdrawal. Scott Pringle tells us air traffic control staffing continues to be an issue disrupting New York City area flights. Back in the spring, the Federal Aviation Administration announced it would eliminate penalties for airlines that restrict the number of flights taking off and landing in the New York City area. That's because of a shortage with air traffic controllers. It was set to expire in a few weeks, but the FAA is now extending the penalty waiver through October 28th with staffing levels still a problem. Tyson Foods shutting down four more U.S. chicken plants. Agriculture economist Dr. Scott Brown says things are not looking cheaper and cutbacks in production and processing are trying to get the industry back to a profitable level. Profitability has been really tough uh, in the chicken industry. So feed costs have continued to be high and we all know it's dry in many parts of, of the country today. 
The Arkansas-based company says it's hurt by falling chicken and pork prices and as well as the reduced demand for beef products. The company is also struggling with declining profits. Experts also say some consumers may be looking for lower-cost protein alternatives because of inflation. The company has also been cutting jobs and closing certain chicken processing units in order to keep their costs under control. And finally, in our news segment, at almost 13 minutes past the hour on a busy Thursday morning, the Feast of St. Lawrence Deacon, Video conferencing service Zoom, one of those companies benefiting most from the rise of remote work, is calling its own employees back to the office, as Aaron Rial tells us, and using your Zoom calls to train its AI platform. Zoom is asking its 7,400 workers who live within 50 miles of a company office to report to their desk twice a week. The new corporate policy marks the end of a fully remote era for the software company. Meanwhile, Zoom now wants to use user data to train its new artificial intelligence features. In March, Zoom changed a section of the fine print in its terms and services, stating, quote, all right, title, and interest to the data generated from user calls belongs to them. The company has its own language model, but it's also sharing user Zoom calls with ChatGPT and Anthropic. Before we take a break and bring on Father Mitch Pacwa, another look at the weather from the National Weather Service. Dangerous heat persisting across much of the southern tier of the U.S. with strong to severe thunderstorms possible across parts of the northern plains and from the southeast to the mid-Atlantic. Heavy rainfall is possible in the southern Appalachians and the northeast quadrant of the U.S. and fire weather conditions continue in the southern plains and Alaska as well. The one, the only, Father Mitch Pacwa, our cultural connections, up next on a Thursday. Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This program, Catholic Connection, is co-produced by EWTN as well as Ave Maria Radio. EWTN.com and AveMariaRadio.net for great resources every day, all the time. We'll be right back on a Thursday. Stay tuned. He was a doctor of the church, a Carmelite, and one of the most famous mystics of all time. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. John of the Cross wanted to help all Christians to become saints. One of his most important teachings was to encourage us all to learn how to love. For there is no love, he said, put love, and you will find love. He died in 1591. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the Rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and Mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. 
You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. WTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Always great to catch up with Father Mitch Pacwa, of course, from EWTN Radio and Television. His many books, his pilgrimages, he is just a wealth of information on the faith and really a lot of important issues, especially when it comes to the government, how it operates, what we need to know. And not only here in the United States, but because of his extensive travels and his understanding of how things work in Europe and other places. He really is a great resource for so many things in the culture. Father, thanks for joining us. A couple of stories that are really, I think, very um, upsetting. Now we have more information coming from the House Judiciary Committee. Now this broke yesterday. And the reason that this really affected me is because we just had dinner, I was telling you during the break, with a wonderful deacon couple of ours. They're originally from Poland. They moved here, came here as, as young people because they were so upset with what was happening. They lived through the communist era and things started to change but didn't get better. So they came over before the, the country was liberated. And we were having dinner and they were talking about the situations that they're seeing with these different law enforcement agencies acting as if they're living in a police state. So this latest story is from the House Judiciary Committee, and Catholic News Agency has this report. They've uncovered evidence of multiple field offices of the FBI coordinating an investigation into traditionalist Catholics earlier this year. Now, this is different from what Christopher Wray, the FBI director, said before a congressional committee. He said it was just one memo that was dismissed. It didn't mean anything. Now, the latest information is saying that other offices, including Portland and Los Angeles, were involved in this. Why should we be concerned as Catholics, as citizens of the United States? Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of things. Um, I looked at the congressional letter fairly carefully, mm-hmm. carefully, and in the West Coast, and, and I think in the Portland office, there was one person that they were interested in as a potential racial, ethnic uh, extremist who, and he went to the Society of St. Pius X uh, for Mass. Now, he's dead. He, he's deceased. And they mentioned that in the, the, the memo. But there were, uh, on the basis of that, one character, the Portland office, the Los Angeles office, and the Richmond, Virginia office came up with a document that uh, they used then to say um, uh, this could be a a problem and it is enough for us to take mitigating action. Now, that's not explained because we don't have, I don't have that document, uh, what they meant by mitigating action. But uh, it seemed to mean that they want to nip racism in the blood, in, in the bud, coming from uh, allegedly, you know, uh, well, coming from the Latin Mass community of St. Pius X. Um, and they, uh, but they don't always just say them; they just say uh, traditional Latin uh, uh, liturgy Catholics. That widens the scope from that one individual 
who may or may not have gone to that particular church out west and trying to say that this has something to do with any concern they may have had with him, which we don't know now that he's passed away. Uh, we, we can't find out from him what this is about. This is you know, taking a couple of actions and making a working paper to exaggerate right. the uh, impact of re- uh, religious freedom and freedom of speech. We have the freedom of speech to use Latin, or in my parish, we use Aramaic. There's, there's freedom of speech in this regard. And for the FBI to identify it as a threat uh, 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 for racial violence is one of the oddest things that I've ever heard. And also, it's based on a logical fallacy. Uh, you know, in Latin, it's okay, here I'm going to say Latin. Watch <laughs> out. Watch out, FBI. But it's the, the old uh, logical error of post hoc ergo propter hoc, that just because uh, something happened after he had done a certain deed, therefore that other deed caused it. Uh, how do you know that? Why, why, what would be the connection between going to Latin Mass and whatever issues this deceased person may have had? What direct link do you have that you then say you want to take mitigating action and infringe people's religious and uh, speech rights? Uh, this is really odd. And I would suggest that there, um, that the, the House of Representatives' desire to pursue this is warranted. Uh, the other thing, too, is uh, when Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, presented the, the document to Congress, I think in April, they had redacted it, right? And they took out the part that it wasn't just in Richmond, Virginia. Yep. He tried to make it seem that this, oh, this was some rogue. We'll, we'll take care of it. No, it was Portland, Los Angeles, and Richmond, and that was in the document. If he did not know it, the boy can't read. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was trying to uh, cover up uh, this. You know, grievous problem. Well, I'm so going to look at yeah, this paragraph in the letter, by the way. It's on 922 on the East Coast, talking with Father Mitch Pacwa on Thursdays, as I always do for our cultural connections. Uh, this is from the House Judiciary Committee, writing to Christopher Ray. We wrote to you on July 18th, inviting you to correct the testimony you provided on July 12th related to the FBI's role in the censorship of American speech. This new information raises additional concerns about the accuracy, completeness, and truthfulness of your testimony. We invite you to amend your testimony to fully explain the nature and the scope of the FBI's assessment of traditional Catholics as potential domestic terrorists. So they're going as far, and some of the headlines on some sites are saying that they are saying that he could have possibly uh, perjured himself, the director of the FBI. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know why he may have perjured. 
perjured himself. It could simply be as simple as realizing this is stupid. It could be that simple because stupid it is. But uh, it's still, uh, no, no matter what reason you may give, it remains particularly stupid. So why are you doing this? That's the question every American should have, either about the ideological uh, issues that would underlie the uh, FBI or their incompetence. These seem to me the logical conclusion. Now, there may be some other conclusion, but right now I'm willing to go with incompetence, um, that they are taking on uh, people who go to life. What do they expect? That they're going to be secret codes sent to Julius Caesar? Yeah. You know, I mean, this is But they also encourage people to spy on each other, spy on fellow parishioners, and they but they put spies in the churches and going to the masses. I mean, Father, this is something, as we said in the intro, this is something out of... That's uh, the mitigating uh, issue. That's where you're you're talking about mitigation, Um, that you take actions that are unconstitutional in order to uh, prevent one problem you present another, another problem. constitutional problem. More on this with Father Mitch Pacwa. We join him or he joins us every Thursday for Cultural Connections. Of course, you can see him on his programs on EWTN TV and also listen to him on the radio and all the information about his many programs and great efforts to be evangelistic, which he is, EWTN.com. We'll be right back. Father Benedict Rochelle. I'm going to tell you about the most abused woman I ever met in my life. You know her name as Roe, as in Roe versus Wade. I talked to Roe. This woman is a great penitent. This woman is a humble person who was deeply hurt. She was kneeling in the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, the National Shrine in Washington when I met her. And I thought, what reverence. I didn't know who this woman was, but she was praying with reverence, with great fervor. And I asked a priest friend of mine, who is that? And he says, oh, that's Roe. God is not mocked. This woman was abused by those who propagate the killing of children. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. What do we mean when we say the church is the body of Christ? From the very beginning, Jesus shared with his apostles his mission, his joys and sufferings, and the mystery of the kingdom. The Catholic Catechism points out that Jesus indicated the intimacy of his union with his followers when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. When Jesus' visible presence was taken away from the apostles, they were not orphaned. Jesus sent them his spirit. As a result, says the Catechism, communion with Christ is even more intense. 
Jesus mystically constitutes as his body all those brethren called together from every nation. The church is not only gathered around Christ, she is united in him, in his body. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. past the hour. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network. On Thursdays, we are joined by Father Mitch Pacwa from the network, tying together the issues in the culture to our Catholic faith, which is super important to make that connection. And, and Father, to me, it's just very frightening that the idea of them even going into a church, even if it was only one office, that's bad enough, that thought, oh, gee, isn't this a great idea? And now to find out that, as you said, it's either um, you know ignorance or they're, they're not very smart or doing something wrong, but at the same time learning that other offices uh, and big ones in Portland and also Los Angeles were involved in this. This is frightening, and not just Catholics and other Christians, but we should all be concerned about when we have these law enforcement agencies who are being actually scrutinized, thanks be to God, by the Judiciary Committee for acting as if they're in a police state. And, and see, that is one of the other issues that we have to remember, that, um, you know, the, this is why it's important to have uh, political opposition. It's important to have, um, you know, people who are going to check on it. And especially when certain ideas are not popular. Uh, and, and, of course, one of the issues that had shown up before, remember, uh, just so folks don't forget, uh, a few years ago, the um, Department of Defense had given uh, this presentation to men in the National Guard, men and women in the National Guard. Oh, I remember Guard. this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is back in, uh, in the time of President Obama. And in that presentation, they were uh, saying that Catholics, pro-life Catholics, were a threat. They were saying this to the FBI. Now, I mean, to, to, the, to the military. Now, this itself is another concern, that it's not just a fluke going on right now. This is something that is uh, a pattern that has affected the uh, federal government agencies more than once. And if we do not wake up to this reality, uh, we will find even more freedoms being curtailed. Hmm. This is not a good sign. Curtailing our freedoms of speech. Uh, the, it's something that you know has happened in the past when you had... Uh, war emergencies, people gave up some of their freedom of speech in order to help the war effort. That happened.
happened in World War uh, II, of course. And you had uh, that famous line, loose lips sink ships. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to protect uh, the military from being spied on, because being spied upon was uh, a real issue. Now, here we see that the federal government is willing to spy on churches. And just so folks understand, too, this is not a race where I have a dog in the uh, in any close sense. I'm not someone who, I don't go to Latin Mass. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm in favor of it being there. I'm just not interested. But that's part of my freedom as a Catholic and as an American. Uh, but this really, really bothers me because it is, it may not be something I'm interested in, but I am concerned about it because it affects so many other issues. And if we ignore the role of our freedom of speech and our freedom of religion, we are asking for a grave problem down the line. Um, you know, this is a good example where uh, people are being asked to uh, let this slide for some reason mm-hmm. uh, that I don't understand. Uh, you know what, and, and Congress is being you know this is being hidden from Congress. Uh, that is completely unacceptable, and no citizen uh, you know should you know do this. And it's interesting. In the past, the left was always very concerned that freedom of speech issues would be protected. Now, they are not. And part of me suspects that this is because uh, their own commitment to a lack of freedom of speech is uh, being protected. Uh, I I use as an example just uh, another story from yesterday is that a a young man, I I guess he's a reporter, that's my assumption here, uh, was uh, reporting on the uh, uh, Antifa group. And uh, and he, in reporting on Antifa, uh, was beaten by the Antifa people because they are very committed to their own forms of terrorism. Uh, This is what they do. And so he um, was beaten very badly, and a court in, uh, I believe in Portland, defended the Antifa people and didn't prosecute them Mm -hmm. for beating this man very severely. And he was uh, very severely. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, uh, even the jurors were threatened 
with being doxxed. That means that the uh, jurors were being threatened with having their addresses posted in a public forum so that they could um, you know, then uh, potentially be gone after. People could come after them and do them harm. And, and my question is, why was that jury not removed and a new trial begun uh, by the judge to and then a new jury that could be protected. Apparently, the, uh, the, the court did not deem it worthwhile to protect. Or, or how about even presenting a change of venue, given how sensitive it would be in, in that community, which is many times is what happens is they move the, the case to another court to protect the jurors and the witnesses and the po- folks mainly involved in the case. Father, thank you for your insight important information and we're going to continue along this line of discussion with beckett law about a religious couple in massachusetts that is not allowed to adopt because they hold their strong catholic beliefs they take them seriously we'll be right back if you're an optimistic catholic will you live longer i'm chuck adica and this is journey strong my wife susan and i recently lost a dear friend who almost made it to age 99 Varied studies suggest that we may have a better chance of living to near 100 if we are both emotionally aware and hold a positive attitude about life. Being optimistic is a Catholic thing, or it should be. We hold views that include man and God prevailing over darkness and evil, and all human life being highly valued and unique. All positive. But we need more than worldly optimism. We need true theological hope. The Catechism states, Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now that's hope. For more on this, look to the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Father Benedict Groeschel. I usually am operating on the gifts of the Holy Spirit when I don't feel well, even when I'm annoyed when I'm down and out. During my recovery from the automobile accident, immense numbers of people wrote to me and sent me emails, 50,000. And they told me how helpful they thought my talks on EWTN were to them. I'm delighted, but I want you to know I'm nobody's fool. The talks that were helpful, the sentences that were helpful, the phrases that were helpful came from the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the styrofoam packaging came from me. I did that. And styrofoam doesn't amount to very much. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Thanks be to God, there are excellent law firms and organizations such as Beckett Law that take this issue of free speech and religious freedom extremely seriously. Continuing on with that theme that we discussed with Father Mitch Pacwa about the attacks on Catholics and other Christians because of our beliefs, a beautiful couple in Massachusetts who've long wanted to be parents wanted to adopt, but now they're being banned from welcoming vulnerable children into their home through the Commonwealth's foster care program. In Burke versus Walsh, Mike and Kitty Burke 
wanted to foster, as the press release on Beckett Law says, and someday adopt children in need of a family. But they're saying they can't because they upheld they uphold their Catholic beliefs and they take them seriously. On the phone with us is Will Hahn, senior counsel at Beckett. So, Will, it's just getting more and more like a like a uh, police state here. It's very frightening for the government, whether it be at the state level, local level, or federal level, telling us, no, you can't hold these beliefs. You have to believe what we want you to believe. So what is the case? Where is it right now in terms of the process, hopefully allowing this couple to adopt and foster children? Thank you for thank you for your time this morning. And it, it is unfortunate because, you know, Mike and Kitty Burke, who we have the, the pleasure of representing at Beckett, they are, as Massachusetts called them, a lovely couple. Uh, Mike is an Iraq War veteran. They, the two own a small business together. And they were acknowledged by the state of Massachusetts as having a lot of strengths to go to foster a child who has behavioral health needs. They seem to really understand what it means to be a foster parent. Those are all direct quotes from the state of from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And yet, here's a quote, too. Their faith is not affirming, and neither are they. And what Massachusetts meant by that is because uh, Mike and Kitty are traditional Catholics and hold to the Church's beliefs on marriage and sexuality and gender, that meant that they couldn't be foster parents in Massachusetts. That's both unnecessary, because Massachusetts has a lot of policies to prohibit religious discrimination and maximize foster parents, and it's also unconstitutional, because the First Amendment protects religious Americans' ability to participate on equal terms in public life with everyone else. So where are you now in, in, this, in this suit that's being filed? Sure. So we filed the case in federal court in Massachusetts just earlier this week, and we're going to be pressing ahead to get the, the Burks the ability to have the freedom to participate in public life like everyone else. This is just, this sounds like something, again, as I was talking with Father Mitch, as I mentioned to you during the break, it sounds like something out of a banana republic or, you know, a communist country. It's just ridiculous. It's, it's happening all the time. It's really unfortunate because, like I said, you know, Massachusetts has so many different ways to maximize the number of foster parents. And they really need to because Massachusetts has a foster care crisis on its hands. It has kids sleeping in the hallways and office floors of the Department of Children and Families. And nevertheless, they're telling Mike and Kitty Burke, a lovely couple, you can't be foster parents because you're Catholic. That's, that's really unfortunate and really unnecessary. They should be looking for opportunities to work with couples that they think are lovely and really understand what it means to be foster parents. Isn't it shocking to you as an attorney who handles these kinds of cases, knowing how clear the First Amendment is and, and how we uh, believe supposedly in this country religious freedom, that they came right out and said it's your religious beliefs that are preventing us from allowing you to foster and adopt? Now, sometimes you need to write it in cram, but the Beckett Fund will make sure that a court does, and that's, uh, that's what we intend to do here. What type of attention is this getting in the secular media? Uh, it's received a lot of attention, and I think actually that's a sign of hope. Uh, the fact that so many people so promptly have acknowledged, gee, there's something wrong here. We shouldn't be categorically excluding people because of their religion from helping others in society. I think the fact that so many people just reacted to that is a very hopeful sign that even though there are some people who, like I said, maybe need to have the First Amendment's protections written out in crayon, many other people still get it, and that's a good reason for hope. 
We're talking with Will Hahn, senior counsel at Beckett, about uh, a case that they're re representing in terms of a couple trying to adopt in Massachusetts, a strong Catholic couple. So basically, why don't they just write it out, whether it's in crayon or magic marker or whatever, that unless you are supporting transgender ideology, so-called same-sex marriage, puberty blockers, uh, you know, uh, surgeries and all that, then you can't adopt or foster in Massachusetts. But basically, that's what they're saying. Why don't they just write it out? Well, the, the thing is, is that Massachusetts, like I said, also has a foster parent bill of rights that protects potential foster parents from religious discrimination. And the Department of Children and Families has multiple prohibitions on religious discrimination for foster parents, too. In fact, Massachusetts is so eager to maximize the number of foster care parents, it allows foster parents to sit down with the government and work out a contract about the kinds of children that they could take into their home and go through all of these different kinds of criteria. Uh, that, that discretion exists to maximize the number of foster parents, but instead... Massachusetts turned that discretion into a weapon against First Amendment guarantees. And that's the thing that the court needs to kind of set right here, is just to say, Massachusetts, you have, we give you all this authority so that you can help children, not so you can exclude Catholics. You know what's so crazy about this, and I don't have to tell you this, but I want to bring it out because I think it's really important. If you look at, and even the Surgeon General, in his report that came out earlier this year on the epidemic of loneliness, talked about the importance of faith, talked about the importance in attending church events, about a way to cure loneliness. And yet here you have, and I'm reading from the story on the National Catholic Register's uh, piece that they did the other day, other documents, so did the Burke's devout faith their regular church attendance, and their work at local churches as musicians. Lovely people, but their faith is not supportive, and neither are they. And yet all the research shows that faith is supportive, not only of the family unit, but of a community. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, you know, one of the other cases the Beck Fund has had the privilege of working on was the Fulton versus City of Philadelphia case. Where we I was just going to ask you about that. Yes, go ahead. Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, before the Supreme Court on behalf of Catholic Social Services and loving foster families in the city of Philadelphia. And one of the great gifts of that case and others like it is you get to see exactly the kind of thing you're talking about where over and over across the country, whether it's religious foster agencies or religious families who want to foster and adopt, they are at the tip of the spear of leading this charge, uh, of, of trying to serve children in need and trying to bring as many parents as possible into the public square that are going to say, yes, I will bring this child into my home and treat him or her as one of my own. And we'll walk through whatever challenges come up in life as a family over time. We're not going to... Get, try to get bogged down in hypotheticals with the government decades in advance. This is not how families work. And, and these, the Burks are another example of a loving couple for whom their faith has compelled them to foster, and they shouldn't be denied because they have a faith that compels them to foster. So in terms of, of this court activity and, and these rejections, I mean, obviously they're, they're aware of the case that you just mentioned in Philadelphia. Are they just ignoring it or just think, oh, we're just going to throw as much of our ideology against the wall and see what sticks? We're going to put this as a barrier between faithful people uh, you know, and us, and we're, we're going to just do whatever we can to block as many as possible. Maybe we'll have one or two lawsuits here or there, but at least we'll, we'll keep a couple of these crazies out. I mean, to me, that seems that what they're doing. It's like, okay, we're just going to try whatever we can because they know that people don't like lawsuits. They know it's very draining. It's very tiring. 
it's really it's it's really amazing what happened here because it you know if you look carefully and one of the things that our complaint explains in detail is just the steps that the Burks went through in the process, and one of the things that came out in the steps is that the Burks had been uh, recommended by uh, their the person reviewing them to be foster parents even with these these so-called concerns, uh, but they still had been recommended. And they said, well, maybe we can just approve with conditions. And yet for reasons that have not been explained, a group of people in the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families decided to just go to the nth degree and categorically cut them off altogether. And that's the thing that's really surprising here, especially when you consider the foster care crisis and that the Burks are, by every other measure, totally qualified to be be foster parents, and the only measure Massachusetts used to exclude them is one that is not only not a basis for exclusion, but would be a good reason to bring someone into foster care. They have a faith that compels them to serve children. And there, so the government is using their own ideology and, and their own issues to block caring for children, which they say they care so much about. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's breathtaking. So what do you think your chances are in terms of a victory? Because if you look at Catholic Charities of Boston and, and those issues, and this has happened in other places where Catholic Charities and other adoption agencies have been forced to close their doors because they are Christian and, and uh, want to, of course, put the people in a safe or the kids in a safe uh, environment. What do you think the chances are of winning this case? I think they're very good. Uh, the, the First Amendment is very clear, and the Supreme Court has been consistently clear that excluding religious organizations, religious people, religion from public programs simply because it's religious or has a certain religious belief is odious to our Constitution. The Supreme Court has been equally clear that when governments are operating through very discretionary systems, they're just using arbitrary power, they can't treat secular concerns one way and religious concerns another way. The government's also been, or the Supreme Court's also been very clear that when you have very individualized analysis going on by the government, where they're like picking apart your life, that you cannot treat a religious person through a different process that you aren't giving to non-religious applicants. So for all of these reasons, which have been applied in cases like Fulton and also cases involving um, foster parents. There was a case that we cited involving a Seventh-day Adventist couple out in Washington State that wanted to foster their great-granddaughter and had been excluded because they had similar religious beliefs as the Burks. Uh, there's a case out in Pennsylvania where a foster family had shared their religious views on marriage, and that was a basis to try to not have them have a child anymore. In every instance, courts have put a stop to this, and so we have good reason to think that the same would hold here, and we're confident that ultimately the Burks will prevail because the First Amendment wins in the end. Do you think this will go all the way to the, to the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court? If it does, I think that the Supreme Court will continue its high regard for religious liberty and reinforce all of those principles that I just mentioned. The First Amendment protects us all against arbitrary power, and it protects everyone to participate in public life and not be categorically excluded from doing so because you're religious. So, well, I always like to give people an action item. What could we do about this? I mean, if it's not happening to us personally, but it is happening to us, if we are people of faith, 
if it's affecting this couple, it's affecting all of us because they're attacking our religious freedom. And we can say, oh, not in my backyard, NIMBY, but it is right in our backyard. It's a very personal situation for, for all of us who, who believe in God and, and the church teaching and, and other people who have strong religious beliefs as well. What can we do about this? Can we do anything, obviously support groups like Beckett Law, but what else would you recommend? So I think always the first and best advice is prayer. Never right. underestimate the power of prayer. Um, and and then on, on you know in addition and, and fasting too. Don't underestimate that one either. Um, and on on top of prayer and fasting, I would also say that the surest way to defend your religious liberty or anyone's religious liberty is to exercise your religion. Amen. I was just going to say that religious Amen. liberty depends upon religious exercise. We can't have a naked public square. If we want people to participate in public life and we want to defend that principle, then religious people need to show up in public life. So exercise your religion confidently. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate it. And we'll be praying for this beautiful couple and also for your uh, amazing efforts to make sure that we have our freedoms, religious freedom and our First Amendment rights protected and upheld. Will Hahn, Senior Counsel at Beckett Law. The website is beckettlaw.org. There's a terrific piece on the register about this. If you want more information, ncregister.com. And also their website is beckettlaw.org. Almost 53 minutes past the hour. It is a Thursday morning. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN. When we come back, we'll let you know what's coming up on a Friday and never ever ever be discouraged or lose hope we have to be willing to stand up and to speak up with love and to use the tools that we have including amazing organizations such as Beckett Law to get out there and make a difference and be not afraid do not be afraid to peacefully exercise your religious rights which means as Will said to get involved we'll be right back Ciao, amici. Hello, friends. Teresa Tamio here. Ever notice that common sense isn't so common anymore? Each time we check our news feeds or turn on the TV, it seems the world is getting wackier. While we desperately need a return to basic common sense. And Rosie Posey, my mom, a street smart theologian from Jersey City, is just the person we need to help us restore it. So if you need a little bit more help with some common sense or know someone else who needs it, pick out my new book on our store. Everything's coming up, Rosie, at AveMariaRadio.net's online store. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. You and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmidt, Archbishop Nauman, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmidt's comments, you'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at AveMariaRadio.net. Just click the travel link. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com.
St. Lawrence, Deacon and Martyr, pray for us. Turn me over, I'm done on this side, a famous quote. Almost 56 minutes past the hour. Thanks for, so much for tuning in to the EWTN, Global Catholic Radio Network, and this program, Catholic Connection, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN, coming up tomorrow. Speaking of EWTN, Doug Heck, our president and chief operating officer, joining us as he always does on Fridays, looking ahead with the inside word, giving you a little scoop on what's coming up in EWTN programming, and probably we'll kind of revisit World Youth Day and the amazing coverage as Joan alluded to the other day about how much was covered and seen by the world thanks to EWTN for World Youth Day. Also, Fact Check Friday. I have no idea what stories we'll talk about because there's so many and so many issues with the secular media, but we will be talking about the media in general and how we can make a difference. And so I do hope you can join us tomorrow on a Friday. You go ahead and have a blessed day, and hopefully we'll talk to you tomorrow, God willing. Andomani. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.